Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, that's right. Let's praise God. Hallelujah. Woo, the Holy Ghost is in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. As you continue to stand, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter number 6. Amen. Remember the announcement about life groups starting back. I'll tell you what I believe. I believe everybody needs to be in a life group. Amen. It is the New Testament way. They were daily in the temple and from house to house. Amen. And it is a vital part of our growth as disciples. And uh, please remember that. Grow classes Wednesday night, first steps. So many good things happening, and you don't want to miss it. Uh, March the 3rd is our missions commitment service. And excited about that, excited about being a part of our world missions department. And uh, had a good report. Somebody told me this morning, somebody told me when they made their pledge for the building fund back in November. Of course, we have it coming up here. I think we, we, we made it, uh, the, the day we're going to try to get it by is uh, April the 1st. And we would take it early. And if we have to, we'll take it late. But somebody told me they made the pledge. And they didn't know how it was going to, to, to work out. They were between jobs when they made it, but they felt like the Lord told them to. And, uh, and they said the Lord gave them double their pledge in Jesus' name. Isn't that awesome? Amen. And so we know, we know that God is working and, uh, and the, way that it, the way that God's moving. A couple Sunday nights ago, man, this place was packed from wall to wall. And, uh, and we got to get moving. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter number 6 and verse number 10. 2 Samuel 6 verse number 10. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Obed-Edom, everybody say Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Everybody say the Gittite. But David carried it aside in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his house. Obed-Edom, the Gittite. I'm going to preach for a while tonight, a Levite life in a Philistine world, a Levite life in a Philistine world. God, I pray you anoint me to preach, anoint our ears to hear, confirm your word with signs following, help us to grow in grace and knowledge of you, do your work, God, this is your church and your people and your service, and God, I believe you in Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Give the Lord a good hand, clap of praise. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. In this modern world, this modern Christian world, perhaps no subject has been vilified more in recent years than the idea, the principles, and the preaching of holiness. Holiness is a call from God upon his people to live above the ways and the entrapments of this world. God is holy. His spirit is holy. That's why it's called the Holy Ghost. Because the Spirit of God wants to inspire and assist us to change our lives to live in such a way that it would reflect the values and the nature of God. The devil wants to make holiness living appear miserable and joyless for the Christian. But let me tell you tonight, there is no life like a holy life. To lay your head down at night and not have to worry about guilt and shame or anything being 
between you and God. The psalmist asked the pertinent question in Psalms 24 and 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? God, who can climb to your presence? Who can stand in your holy presence? And then the psalmist answers his own question. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Those that climb the hill of the Lord are those who pursue holiness in life. God has called us to holiness. Amen. But not to holiness without reward, but holiness and godliness, which is, according to the scripture, great gain. Let us turn back to the word of God, to the embryonic stage of the people of God. Sixteen generations they lived in Egypt as slaves. They watched how the Egyptians worshipped. They watched them sacrifice to their gods. As slaves working in the homes of the Egyptians, they watched the Egyptian people practice their religion. Their primary god was the sun god. Their practice was to put on their gold and jewelry in the morning, covering their bodies so that when they stepped out into the shiny sun, that gold would catch the rays of the sun and reflect it back to him. And it was a form of their worship to their sun god. Israel saw this Egyptian worship and and then the God knew that he had to somehow reverse the influence of Egypt's influence upon his people. And so God began the process of instilling within them a new and a holy form of worship. He wanted to give them a token, a symbol, if you will, of his presence. And in the wilderness trek, he commanded Moses to have artisans build a wooden box and overlay it with the gold they took from the Egyptians. And Moses called it the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Covenant were three specific things. A pot that had manna bread from heaven which they collected in the mornings. It signified that God would provide for those who lived in his presence. The second thing inside of this box was a branch of an almond tree which Aaron and Moses had laid in the holy place. And in the night, though it were dead, though it had been cut off from its source, God made it bud in the night and grow almonds And it signified new life in his presence and the miraculous power of God. Also inside that ark were the tables of stone, the ten commandments which God had carved with his own finger. God's word and God's law for his people. And everywhere that Israel took this box, this ark, God's glory moved for them. They carried it into battle, and God gave them victory. They marched it into the flooded Jordan River, and God made a way through the flood. They marched it around the walls of Jericho, and God brought the walls down. It was the symbol of God's power and God's presence among his people. When Israel built a tabernacle to worship God, the building they built in the wilderness was not something on the outside that was much to look at. It was a tent covered with badger skins. They erected the walls, they hung the curtains, they installed the veil, 
they placed all the furniture, the golden candlestick, the brazen laver, the table of shoe bread, all of it arrayed in God's described place. But it was just a building and just a piece, just a bunch of furniture. Interesting, but not powerful until the priests put the Ark of the Covenant upon their shoulders and marched it through the holy place into the holies of holies. And as they sat it down in the presence of God and they backed away and backed their way out, then when they stood outside, they began to look as the clouds would begin to swirl overhead and the glory of God would come down into that place and it would rest upon the glory of the Ark of the Covenant. When the Ark was set in its place, the Bible said that the cloud of God's glory rested and set upon the house of God. It was his presence that made all the difference. What the Bible calls the glory of God is an attribute of who he is. It describes his presence. It means the splendor of God. It represents the magnificence of his presence. That when God moves into the room and his glory comes down, there is something that changes mightily in the room when God steps in. When his presence moves in, there's nothing like it in all the world. It's the glory of God that makes the difference. The word glory was used not only to describe the majesty of his presence, but it was so powerful in his presence that people would worship when the power of God came in. And it became symbolized by using the term glory. So glory describes the splendor of his presence, but it began to mean when they said give God glory, it means to recognize his greatness and to worship his majesty. To give God glory is to reflect his majesty back to him, not through the gold of Egyptian jewelry, but through the worship of your hands and your feet and your mouth. And so to give God glory is just to reflect back to him. God, you've been so good to me. I just got to wave my hand and say thank you. I just got to open my mouth and say praise the Lord. I just got to lift up my feet and let you know that I'm reflecting back to you. I'm giving you glory. Well, I wish somebody would do it right now. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, Lord. I wish somebody would reflect it back. Has he been good to you? Has he brought you out? Has he blessed you? Has he made a way out of no way? Did he pick you up out of the miry clay? Did he set your feet on a rock? Did he give you a new name? Did he wash your sins away? His glory is great. And so we give him glory to reflect. Woo, hallelujah. Oh, yes. When I gave our dear brother his baptismal certificate just a minute ago, man, he, he's so happy smiling. Man, it, it thrilled my soul. Amen. And, and, I, and I, when, it, when I gave it to him, I said, man, this thrills my heart. And then I said, I said, it's real, isn't it? And you know what he told me? He said, it's real. I'm going to tell you, don't ever lose the wonder. Don't ever lose the wonder of his goodness and his mercy and his grace and his presence. Don't ever lose the wonder. You got to give God glory. I'm reflecting it back because you've been so good to me. I said you've been so good to me. Oh, I could never describe it. I could never really give it the right words other than to say that God is great and he's greatly to be praised. Give him the glory that's due his name. 
Give God glory means to recognize his greatness. Giving God glory means to worship his majesty. Giving God glory is to reflect his majesty back to him by praise. When God's glory moves, everything is possible. Amen. I didn't mess up when I said that. I know a lot of people say that when God's glory moves, anything is possible. But I've come to say more than anything, everything is possible. Amen. Because if you're not careful, anything means he can do any one thing. And once he's done that, he's done. But he can't just do anything. He can do everything. He can heal diabetes over here, cancer over there, depression over here, anxiety over here, addiction over here. God can do everything. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Oh, yes. When his glory moves, anything can happen. When his glory moves, he can break a 20-year-old addiction. When his glory moves, he can pick somebody up out of the miry clay. When his glory moves, uh, he can do anything and everything. God, send your glory in this place. I've started praying it. I've started praying it over the last few months. God, show us your glory. God, show us your glory. God, I don't want our glory. I don't want the glory of the musicians. I don't want the glory of the singers. I don't want the glory of a preacher. God, show us your glory. Show us your glory. Show us, God, you do something tonight that only you can do. That when we walk out of here, we'll know it wasn't drummed up by emotion. It was something that only, God, somebody better move right now. Somebody better give him glory. God, do a God thing. Do a God thing here tonight. His presence saves the lost. His presence delivers the addict. His presence heals the sick. His presence makes a way where there is no way. It's his glory. God, I just want to give you glory because you deserve it. You're greater than the Super Bowl quarterback. You're better than the teams over wherever they're playing. God, you deserve the glory. You you're better than a politician. You're better than an actor. You're better than an athlete. You're God, and you deserve all the glory. Well, would somebody just go ahead and reflect back to him how good he's been to you? Can you just, through your praise, reflect back to him how great he's been? If you think God is great, then give him great praise. He picked me up and turned me around, set my feet on solid ground. He's my help in the storm. He gives me strength to carry on. Somebody ought to praise him because he's able to save. He's mighty to save tonight. He'll turn your life. Do I have a witness? He'll turn your life around. Do I have a witness? He'll give you joy unspeakable. He'll do it. He'll do it. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's great and greatly to be praised. When his glory steps in, when his glory steps in, all things are possible because it's God. But here's the problem. The problem with experiencing God's glory. And I was at a restaurant last week with Brother Woodward. And the lady at the restaurant, she's a sweetheart. And uh, when I went in, I, 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 was, I was making a comment to her about Jesus' name. And uh, 
And, and she, she goes like this. She goes, whew. She said, because when you say his name, he shows up every time. Hallelujah. And so when you say his name, he shows up every time. Hallelujah. How many know you could have been carnal all week long, but you step into his house and begin to say his name and his presence comes down. How many ever been in a place where maybe you didn't pray like you ought to pray and live like you ought to live, but you got in his presence, begin to praise him and say his name, and the next thing you knew, you stepped into his presence. The problem Somebody ought to do it right now. Don't let your mistakes stop your praise. Don't make your lack of consecration stop your... You ought to just go ahead and step on in and let God do something right now. Here's what the, the Bible says. Let be clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. You can't bear the vessels of the Lord without being clean. The Bible says if you're going to be a preacher, you got to be of good report. you got to rule your house well. you got to be the husband of one wife. And you got to live blameless. There's qualifications for carrying the vessels of the Lord. There's qualifications for preaching, for ministering. But when the Bible comes to praise, it doesn't say all oh, you that's been, been perfect since last Sunday. Praise the Lord. It doesn't say everybody that hasn't struggled with anything, go ahead and praise the Lord. It didn't say everybody that's living in total victory, praise the Lord. All it said was let everything that has breath praise. There's no, anybody can praise him. Everybody ought to praise him. There ought to not be one single person that doesn't somehow or another if all you can do is tap your toe and turn your toe loose and say, God, I praise you. Oh, yeah. I was, in, I was in Germany a few years ago preaching their national conference. And I was in Mannheim, Germany, and I came into the church, and I'd never been there, didn't know anybody but Brother Krauss. And, and I'm, I'm standing there talking to Brother Krause, and I see this fella come in the back door of the church. And, uh, and his, his right leg is cut off above the knee. And his pants are, are actually folded up and stuffed in his back pocket. That, that pant leg is stuffed in his, and he's got a walker. And I'm watching him. And, I, and, and I'm thinking he's going to stop at the row closest to the door. But he doesn't. And he, I think, well, maybe he'll stop halfway, but he doesn't stop halfway. He goes all the way to the front row, and then he just kind of falls back in the seat, and I thought, that's it for him tonight. But then they began to sing and to worship God, and I watched that man with that walker and one leg as he began to take that thing, and he began to... If he can do it, some of you can do it. You just got to have the want to. It's got to be in your heart to say, God. Oh, everybody ought to. There ought to not be one single person in this room that is not somehow, some way. It may just be a wave that might be all you can give. But by Lord, give it to him right now. Here's, here's the problem. Here's the problem with experiencing God's glory is we learn to take it for granted. We forget that it is an honor to be in his presence. It's an honor for him 
to step out of eternity and step into the room and to touch us with his spiritual finger and let us feel his presence. It's an honor. I don't deserve it. There's not one thing I could do to deserve it. I could be as perfect as I want to be and I couldn't be good enough to earn the touch of the presence of God. But when we come into his house, he touches us with his presence and I don't ever want to take it for granted. I don't ever want to think, God, I deserve this. Yeah, God, you're lucky I'm here. God, you ought to be, you ought to be lucky. You, you ought to feel lucky, God, that I showed up on Super Bowl Sunday. No, no, no. I am so thankful that I get to be in the house of God and feel his presence. There's people in crack houses right now that would give anything to feel the joy that I have in my heart right now. Rehab centers are full of people that would give anything to feel what I'm feeling in my heart right now. It's an honor. It's an honor to be in your presence, God. It's the very least I can do to give you praise tonight. But Israel forgot that it was an honor to have the Ark of the Covenant. And Eli, the priest, and his sons, the priests of the Lord, they were unrighteous. And because of their sin, the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines. And God proved that day he would rather be among people who don't know him at all than to be among people who know him but don't honor him. And so these Philistines are an interesting group of people. They hated God. They hated God's people. They were the constant enemies of God's people for many generations. They appear in the book of Genesis. And from there, they're mentioned 288 times all the way to the 38th book of the Old Testament. Almost the entire span of the Old Testament reflects the conflict between Israel and the Philistines. The Philistines were a particular problem because, as you heard last week from Brother Woodward, they were more technologically advanced than Israel. Israel was stuck in the Bronze Age while the Philistines had already advanced to the Iron Age. Their technological advantage played out in weaponry. Archaeological discoveries have also discovered that the Philistines seemed to be extremely talented in performance art and entertainment. It would have been the ancient equivalent to Hollywood's music and movies. The Philistines also were warriors by nature. They loved fighting and plundering in battle. Their culture was built off war and their boys were raised with bloodlust that drove them. The Philistines were an aggressive people by nature and their goal was to advance their culture and civilization by any means. Either by death or destruction, they would impose their will upon anyone surrounding them. They would never be pleased with peaceful coexistence. They, were, they had the mindset, we will dominate or die trying. And this became a troubling issue for the, for the nation of Israel, for they could not overcome the Philistines with weaponry. Their technology could not compete with Philistine technology. And beyond that fact, there was a family of giants from a city known as Gath, and these giants acted as enforcers and bullies for the Philistine people. The most famous of them, you know, whose name was Goliath. This translated to a constant onslaught of Philistine culture, Philistine entertainment, and Philistine technology that seemed as if Israel could never compete and would never win. When you simply match them up from a human perspective, Israel was soon to be annihilated and disappear from history. However, we know the story. The Philistines have disappeared from history, but Israel continues on because God made up his mind that my people will not be overcome by culture, by entertainment, or by technology. They hated Israel. They hated how Israel worshiped. They hated how Israel dedicated to God, and so they wanted to annihilate God's people from the face of the earth. How many can give God praise? I just now got a text from Brother Gerald that Sister Tina's made a turnaround. How many is going to thank God that he'll complete the work? 
It's an honor to have the glory of God move. He's able, he's able, he's able, he's able. His glory can move in a hospital room. His glory can move in a bar room. But can it move in you right now? That's the real question. Thank you, God. And so the Philistines wanted to annihilate God's people from the face of the earth. To make matters worse, now the Philistines had taken the Ark of the Covenant, the one thing that Israel had that they, had, that, that they did not have. And now the Philistine hands are on the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines apparently looked into the Ark and saw what was in it. They saw the pot of manna and they wanted God's provision. They saw that rod that budded and they wanted God's miraculous life-giving power. But then they saw the law, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. And they went down the Ten Commandments on the tables of stone. And when Israel got the ark back, the pot of manna was missing. And the rod that budded was missing. But First Kings 8 and 9 said there was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb. He said, they said, yes, give me that pot of manna, I want that. Yes, give me that rod that budded, I want that. Law, I don't want that. And so they put it back in. And when they put it back in, the Bible said they were smitten with emrods. And they, were, they got emrods so bad that they said, we got to get rid of this ark. And they sent it right back to Israel. You know what emrods are? Somebody knows. Hemorrhoids. I'm not making it up. It's the Bible. Amen. If you won't stand for God, you won't sit for anything either. Some people want to live for God for the miracles. And they want to live for God for the, for the provision. But they don't want the law of holiness to guide their lives. Somebody that only lives for God for miracles and blessings is a Philistine way of life. Don't give me holiness. Don't tell me how to live. All I want is the miraculous and the blessings. But my friends, we are not called to be Philistines. We're called to be the people of God. And we don't just pick and choose the blessings, but we say, God, if you're going to bless me and you're going to be so good, the very least I can do is live for you and give you my life. And so when the Philistines sent the ark back, David, the Bible said, went to fetch it. And when they went to get it, they had designed a good way to get it. They built an ox cart. The Bible called it a new ox cart. And they put the ark of God on the ox cart. And that ox cart going down that road from Philistine territory towards Jerusalem, somehow it hit a pothole. It hit, the road was uneven. And that, that ark began to shift on that cart. And a man named Uzzah reached out his hand to touch it and to stay it. But the problem that Uzzah had was two things. Number one, the ark was not to be on a cart. It was supposed to be on the shoulders of the priest. And the second thing is, Uzzah was never supposed to touch the presence of God that way. And on that moment, the Bible said that Uzzah was killed. They called the place Perez Uzzah or the breach of Uzzah. Many, many, many scholars believe that he was literally split in half. And David, according to our text, said, I'm not taking it back now. We got to stop right here. So you have to understand David is somewhere between the Philistines' temple and God's temple when this matter with Uzzah happens. And now he's got the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the road. And he can't take it back to the Philistines, but he says, I'm afraid to take it back to Jerusalem. And so he's got to figure out what to do with it. And so then to this place comes a man by the name of Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom is an interesting study in the scripture because the Bible calls him Obed-Edom the Gittite. Everybody say Obed-Edom the Gittite. Obed 
most all scholars agree that the term Gittite refers to a Philistine. According to Strong's Dictionary, Gittite means an inhabitant of Gath. Anybody else? Anybody know someone else who came from Gath? Goliath and his brothers are from Gath. So here you have this man, Obed-Edom, and the Bible calls him the Gittite or the inhabitant of Gath. He's a contemporary with Goliath and his brothers. Apparently, no doubt, their paths had crossed in Gath at some point. However, 1 Corinthians 15 said that Obed-Edom was a Levite. A Levite was the tribe of priests in the nation of Israel. So it appears that Obed-Edom was a priest living in Gath. A priest of God living in the land of the Philistine giants. Imagine what life for a priest, a worshiper of God, must have been like in Gath, surrounded by Philistines who not only didn't understand how you live, but hate how you live. So many things about the lifestyle of an ancient Levitical family was different than the way the Philistines lived in Gath. Their Philistine neighbors didn't understand why Obed-Edom's family was so different than their family. Why does Obed-Edom worship like he worships? Why does he sacrifice to his God like he does? Why does he dress the way that he does? Almost everything about Obed-Edom's Levitical lifestyle was in stark contrast to the way that the Philistines lived. Their songs were different. Everything was different. But Obed-Edom didn't change his lifestyle to fit into a Philistine world. He lived in a Philistine world with a Levite lifestyle. But the Bible says he was a Gittite. And so one thing is clear, that Obed-Edom's house was somewhere on the route from Gath to Jerusalem. And Obed-Edom comes into the scriptures in 2 Samuel 6 and 1 Chronicles 13, which refer to him as Obed-Edom the Gittite. And now we come to David with the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the road, and Uzzah is bleeding out on the side somewhere. And David says, I can't move this ark back to Jerusalem right now. I can't, I can't move it. I can't take it back. I'm afraid to get it back to Jerusalem. But I can't take it back to the house of the Philistine gods either. But I also can't leave it here in the middle of the road. I've got to do something with the glory of God. And about that time, somebody goes up to David and says, King, there's this man. His name is Obed-Edom. He's a Gittite, but he's also a Levite. He lives among Philistines, but he lives for God while he lives among Philistines. David, what do you think about taking the ark to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, the Levite, living in a Philistine world? And so they take the ark to the house of Obed-Edom. And about that time, Obed-Edom and his family, minding their own business, just living a Levite life in a Philistine world. And the next thing you know, there's a knock at the door. And Obed-Edom, if he's like me, who's at the door right now? He sticks his sandals on, tightens his robe, opens the door. Who is it? King David. Brother Kenny, back when, when Kent 
went to youth convention as a kid. There was one of the boys that from one of the churches up north that was driving him and the boys in the room crazy. I don't know if you've heard this story. They, 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 this boy would always knock it on their door and hassle them. They, were, they just wanted some peace from him. And, and this, this boy, this, this, somebody knocked at the door, and Kent thought it was this boy. And so now he's mad. He throws the door open, and he says, Brother Steve. <laughs> Brother Wilson had gone to check on Patrick. <laughs> I think that might have been sort of how Obadiah opened the door. King David. <laughs> David stands there with his royal garment and his crown resting on his brow. And he says, Obadiah, would it be all right with you if we brought the Ark of the Covenant and left it in your house for a while? And Obadiah says, sure, bring it in. And so the priests bring the Ark of the Covenant into Obed-Edom's living room. And they set it down. And I'm sure that Obed-Edom and his kids just sort of look at it. And they see the gold and the angels. They see the, the, the sprinkles of blood that the priests over the generations had left there. Maybe they could see the fingerprints of priests that had lived long ago that had held the staves and carried the ark. And him and his wife and his children, they look at the glory of God in wonder and awe and amazement. And maybe one of his children reach out and he pulls his hand back and he begins to tell them, son, you remember the story about the walls of Jericho? When the priests marched this box around the walls of Jericho, the stones came down and God gave victory. And here it is in our house right now. And then he looks at his daughter and he tells her about the day that they marched it and the toes of the priest stepped into the Jordan River and the Jordan began to roll back like a scroll and they walked into the promised land hand in hand and he says this is what caused the waters to roll back and it begins to tell them stories about how the cloud of God's glory would come down and rest and he says and believe and he said and there's something called the Shekinah Daddy, what's the Shekinah? The Shekinah is the literal presence of God. And you see these two angels? When, when God's ark was put in the Holy of Holies, the literal presence, the Shekinah presence of God would be right here. And here it is. I wonder if when he laid down at night, he could hear the wings of angels rustle just through the walls of his house. But I'm going to say that his family was like every other family. I'm going to say his kids. Can you imagine being a, a Levite kid growing up in Goliath High School? Where they're all wearing Goliath jerseys. And here are these Levite children. And they don't dress anything like the Levite, the, the, the Philistine kids. And when the Philistine children start to sing, they don't sing their songs. And when they, when they have worship, when they have Philistine prayer to their God, they only bow to the one God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm sure the Philistine kids made... <laughs> They fun. You're just a Levite. You're a Hebrew. You're a child of, and they made fun of them and mocked. And no doubt those children got home and they went to their mom and dad. And mom and dad had to wipe the tears and say, Why we gotta be so different? Why do we have to be so different from all of our neighbors? Why do we gotta be so different from everybody? And I'm sure that, that Obadiah's wife comes home from market, and the other ladies at market had made fun of the way she dressed and the way that she worked. Worship. And why do we have to be, why, why can't we just be a little bit, bit more like Philistines? Why do we got to be so different? But as Obadiah stood in front of the ark of God, I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I want my wife and I want Kate and I want Ellie to come.
I'm willing to suffer for the, for the kingdom's sake. When y'all pray tonight, pray for me. When Brother Holmes had my wife up there, I held her hand. I said, your hand is pouring sweat. Oh, look, we got Elsie. I love this baby. You're so sweet. Obed-Edom had his wife and children. She said, make it fast. That added five minutes to the sermon. You can thank her for it later. <laughs> Obed-Edom and his family looked at the ark of God. They saw the angels. They saw the glory of God. And the presence of God moved into his house. And the Bible said that everything that pertained to Obed-Edom was blessed. Because of God's presence in his home, everything was blessed. When other people's crops failed, Obed-Edom's crop survived. When other people's families suffered, Obed-Edom's family was blessed. But when the king said... Obed-Edom, you've lived a Levite life in a Philistine world. And because of that, it got God's attention. And God knows that the only place in a Philistine world where he can put his glory is in the house of someone that's willing to live a Levite lifestyle in a Philistine world. And so he got his family together. And he said, this is why you're different than the Philistines. This is why you don't sing their songs and wear their clothes and talk their talk. This is why. Because when God's glory came through the door of our house, it made all the difference in the world. I know you feel different when you go to your volleyball tournaments and you don't look like everybody else, but this is why we live a Levite life for the glory of God. I'm going to tell you why we live the way we do. For what we felt in this place tonight, when God came down, there's a value in holy living. There's a value. If we got to be different than the rest of the world to feel what we feel here, it's worth everything. It's worth it all. Let me tell our new converts, I know that your life is radically changing from what it used to be, but the blessings of God on your family are going to be worth everything that you give to God. Don't ever look at it as what you're giving up. Look at it as what you're gaining. It's the glory of God. Yes, I want to live holy. Yes, I want to live right. Yes, I want to serve God. Yes, I want to. It's an honor to worship Him. We're born to be different. Thank you for teaching our girls how to live a holy life. Thank you for being an example that we live for God, even if it's not popular. Thank you moms and dads all over this place for bringing your babies to church and living a Levite life. It's gonna be worth it all. 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 I don't wanna be a Philistine. I don't wanna be a Philistine. Thank God for a Levite lifestyle. Do I have anybody that loves holiness? living in the house tonight is there anybody that says yes I want to live for you God yes I want to be blessed yes I want your glory uh, somebody ought to praise him right now somebody ought to lift your hands and thank God for the privilege of being holiness Pentecostal Holy Ghost filled Jesus name, you ought to lift your hands and say thank God that you called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Thank you God that you showed me how to live. Somebody ought to thank God. Somebody ought to thank him. Somebody ought to thank him. There's, there's a value. Hey, I feel the whole, I feel like shouting a little bit over holiness, not over miracles, over holiness. 
The glory of God is worth it. The presence of God is worth it. The goodness of God is worth it. The blessings of God. The Levite life in a Philistine world. Walk with me for a minute. Take your sister by the arm and walk with her too. Amen, girls. Don't you ever get tired of being separate. Don't you ever get tired. Don't let anybody ever pressure you into giving up your biblical standard of living for God. Don't ever let the pressure of Hollywood and this world ever make you think that it's better if you just give in. The Philistines will never be satisfied. They'll always want more. You ought to thank God. You ought to thank God for the privilege of being born into a holiness church where people still want the glory of God, where people still want the press. Do I have anybody that wants to come to the altar with your hand up and say thank you, God, for a Levi life? in a Philistine world. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, God, for calling us out of darkness. Thank you, God, for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. The grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously in this present world. Aleva, somebody ought to praise him. There's deliverance. There's joy. There's peace. There's grace in the glory of God. It's edible. Somebody ought to shout a little bit. Hey, I got joy. I got joy because I get to protect. Come on, somebody ought to rejoice because you've been called out from the world. Return and the Philistines disappear into nothing but a name in the pages of this leather bound book. But God's people continue because you can't kill holiness people, you can't stop the church, you can't stop it. And every time I see churches throwing holiness down for the sake of a Philistine world. I'm thinking it's not going to be long. They're going to be disappeared from the pages of history. But when that trumpet sounds, hallelujah, something happened. Can I preach just two more minutes? Something happened when, a few, when three months go by and the, the door has a knock and at the door are the priests again. And instead of bringing the ark in, they're taking the ark out. And they march it, and Obadiah and his family stand on the front porch of their house, and they watch as the silhouette of the priests and the ark disappear over the horizon. And he stands there, and it, it's just not the same now without the glory of God. What I used to be happy with before God came in my house, I'm not happy with anymore. What used to satisfy me, I was perfectly happy with my house before the glory of God came. But now, this old life, it just doesn't satisfy me anymore. And he looks around the house and he says, come on, mama. Come on, babies. 
And they say, Daddy, where are we going? We're going where that ark goes. And the Bible records that Obadiah and his family became doorkeepers in the house of God because he said, I cannot live without the glory of God. And so the next time you find him is in the temple on Mount Zion. And you know what? One of these days, Brother Robbie, am I doing any good tonight? I'm about wore out. Brother Carson, one of these days, we're going to look around this old world and say what used to satisfy me won't satisfy me anymore. And the angel's going to raise that trumpet to his lips and you're going to find us in the eternal temple of God because we lived a Levite life in a Philistine world. One of these days, he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back for a bride that's made herself ready. He's coming back for a bride without a spot or blue. He's coming back for a church that's willing to live. A Levite life in a Philistine world. Join hands all over this place and raise them up high. There's a special call on you folks. You are the modern Obed-Edoms. You are the modern Obed-Edoms who live in a Philistine world but have been called to live a Levite life. And I'm telling you that God's glory will not leave you alone, but it will come to your home and it will dwell with you and you will be blessed by the glory of God. And Obed-Edom looked at his family and said, that's why you didn't wear your Goliath sweatshirt. That's why you didn't sing the Philistine songs. He looked at his wife and said, that's why you didn't compromise to fit in with the ladies at the Philistine market. This is why we lived for the glory of God. Lord, I pray your blessing over these men and women and young people that we would have a determination in this end time to not yield and not back up from the high calling that you've given your church. God, I know we're not better than anybody, but we're not like anybody. We are a called out, peculiar people, separate by your divine design, called to live a lifestyle that reflects the glory of your presence. And so God, I'm not living for acceptance of a Philistine world. I'm not living, God. I'm not living to fit in in a Philistine world. I'm living my life every day for the glory and the majesty of your presence. It's gonna be worth it all. Show us your glory, God. Show us your glory, God. Why don't you join up with somebody close to you and start praying, God, show us your glory. God, let the glory of God come in the homes of these modern-day Obed-Edoms. Let your angels rest in their homes. Oh, that's right. Pray one for another that will have the determination to live a Levite life in a Philistine world. Oh, that's right. Talk to heaven right now. God, help us. Sing it, show us your glory, God.
Bishop Billy McCool wrote like a, a mini book years ago entitled What is Wrong with Holiness? It's, a, it's an attention getter, the title itself. What is wrong with holiness? When you begin to look through it, you begin to see the principles of holiness and how it begins to bless your life. I don't have to live like the world. I don't have to go through drug addiction. I don't have to live through the things that they have to live through because I'm blessed because I follow the principles of holiness. The principles of holiness are throughout the Bible and if we would learn them and get them deep down in our heart because of a love for the Lord. You know, a lot of people call us legalistic or, or uh, you have to do that. It's not necessary. It's not written in the Bible. If you have a love for the Lord, you don't care what your standard is God what do I have to do to please you what do I have to do to be separate from this world that's the essence of holiness hey, amen what an, uh, an awesome message he hits a home run every time doesn't he amen. amen amen don't forget we have sign up booth right outside and I believe sister Michelle is going to be out there in just a minute to help uh, if you have any questions sign up for life groups uh, there are several sheets and with the, all the leaders that are are doing life groups throughout the week on different days so meet with her and she can teach you or tell you what you need to know about them and don't forget meet and greet go through the prayer room the the far room on the right if you're a new guest we want you to come be a part of us come back there immediately following service and you're dismissed in the name of Jesus God bless you